scripture reading this evening will be read from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a, lo a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Good evening and welcome again. We're grateful that you're here tonight. We're always thankful for those of you that are here on Sunday evening. We're very thankful for visitors. We appreciate so much you coming our way tonight and we want to encourage you to come back and be with us at every opportunity that you have. We are blessed with a number of visitors from week to week and for that we're very grateful. And we appreciate so much those of you that are visiting and looking the work of the church over here. It may be that you are contemplating joining hands with us and we want to encourage you to strongly consider the work here. We'd love to have you come and join hands with us. And as we say from time to time, I know that the elders are more than happy to meet, to discuss any facet of the work here, to answer any questions that you might have about the work. And so I would encourage you to do that. Tonight we're going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9, as we think about the eye of faith. As Christians, we understand the importance of faith. Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 at verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Sometimes it's difficult for us as God's people to live by faith. Sometimes it's difficult for us to see what's beyond the horizon. Well, we live here on planet Earth, but ultimately we are striving to one day gain a home with Almighty God in heaven. And so when we think about some of the things that we face here on planet Earth, it helps us to know that by faith, a life of faith, that we can ultimately achieve our eternal goal, and that being heaven itself. Tonight I want to talk to you for just a moment or two. I want to talk to all of us about what Peter has recorded for us in verses 3 through 9 as we think about the eye of faith and the importance of faith in the Christian life. The first thing that the Apostle Peter discusses has to do with our treasures as a Christian. When we talk about our treasures as a Christian, really we are underscoring the bounty that awaits us. And again, how do we know about our treasures in heaven? How do we know about the bounty that lays before us? Well, it's through faith, through the eye of faith. There are a couple of things that I would call your attention to. First of all, the foundation of our hope as a Christian. What is it that actually serves as a basis, a foundation, if you please, for our hope as a child of God? Well, listen to what Peter said in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
So the foundation or basis of our hope as a child of God ultimately rests on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now there are a lot of people in, in our world today that have difficulty believing in the resurrected Christ. Some would say that it was merely the resurrection of a cause. Others, however, would simply dismiss it altogether. Well, the Bible forcefully talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all give attention to the resurrected Christ. And you and I, we would do well to read, to study, to meditate on the significance of his resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul engages in an extended discussion about the resurrection of Christ. He identifies those eyewitnesses to the resurrected Christ. And that's important, to know that there were people that lent their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They saw him, they heard him, they observed him. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul would ultimately say that if the resurrection of Christ were not true, in other words, if it were nothing more than a fable, some type of fictitious story, then our preaching, it is ultimately vain. I mean, why are we spending any time preaching the gospel of Christ? He said, our faith, it too, is vain. And then he said, if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not true, we are still in sin. Now, Paul would say in Romans chapter 1 at verse 4 that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness. In chapter 4, verse 25, he said that Jesus was delivered for our offenses, but was raised again for our justification. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ is extremely important in the scheme of things. So first, the foundation of our hope as a Christian. But then secondly, the future hope of a Christian. What is our hope? Do we have hope beyond this veil of tears? Is there something more to life than the here and now? There are a lot of folks in our world today, they're living merely for the day, merely for the hour, as we say, for the here and now. Those of us who are believers, however, we are looking to something far better, aren't we? A couple of things here. First of all, the promise of faith. Now, based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ, listen to what Peter said, beginning in verse 4. He said that we have an inheritance. It is incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So the promise of faith, what is the promise of faith? What about the promises that extend beyond this life? Well, ultimately, we have before us what is called an inheritance, a Christian inheritance. It might be the case that you have been the recipient of an inheritance in days gone by, it might be the case that you have set aside your estate for your children or grandchildren or maybe a brother or sister or whomever. And you are going to bequeath to them your personal effects, your monetary gains, the material goods that you possess in this life. Those of us who belong to the family of God, 
we have something far better than an earthly inheritance awaiting us. We have the hope of heaven. And that's what, that's what Peter is talking about here. Listen to how he describes this inheritance. He said, it is incorruptible. In other words, it is imperishable. It's not subject to corruption. Furthermore, it is undefiled. It's untainted. It's not soiled or stained. It's not tarnished by the effects of time or sin or any other thing. And then he goes on to say, it does not fade away. One of the great songs that we sing from time to time, Amazing Grace. The fourth stanza of the, of the song, Amazing Grace, speaks of the fact that when we've been there 10,000 years, we have no less days to sing God's praise. Time is no more in eternity. When we talk about going to heaven and one day spending eternity with Almighty God, what Peter is saying and what the other writers are saying is, it will never end. It is ceaseless. I'm not sure I can wrap my mind around something that is unending. Typically, we talk about things as being marked by time. Our lives are subject to time, aren't they? The psalmist talks about how the days of our years may be 70 years or 80 years, but he said it's soon cut off and we fly away. That's why in verse 12 of Psalm 90 he would say, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. And so we are here on planet Earth for a short period of time. Job said man born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. So life here is brief. James would say, life is like a vapor. It appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Not so with eternity. Not so in that realm that we know as heaven. But rather eternity is forevermore. Now I said a moment ago that we mark things by time. We talk about something having a beginning point and an ending point. When we step outside the veil of this life into eternity, time has ceased. When we get to heaven, our lives will not be marked by time. We will be there forevermore. And so to know that, that that's what awaits us, that we have this grand inheritance. You know, the Apostle Paul, in writing to Titus in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, said that we live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. To know that God has promised us an eternal abiding place. Jesus, in the long ago, said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Really what he's saying is, in my Father's house, there are many abiding places. There is room for all. So, we have the hope of heaven. Jesus made that promise. Jesus is the second member of the Godhead, and the Bible says regarding deity, that deity cannot lie. Titus 1, Hebrews chapter 6, and other passages of Scripture. So first the promise of faith, but then secondly, note if you would, the power of faith. 
Drop down and look at verse five. In verse five, here's what Peter said. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The word kept, some translations may use the term preserved. That term is a military term. And here's what it suggests. Christians are garrisoned by the power of God and are safeguarded by the Father himself. Now, how is it that we are kept by the power of God? Well, Peter answers that. Listen again to what he said. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. How important is faith? We talk about the eye of faith. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews chapter 11 at verse 1 that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen as yet. I want to call your attention to a passage of scripture in Hebrews chapter 11 because I think that this helps to emphasize what we're talking about. Look if you would at Hebrews chapter 11 verse 32 beginning and listen to what the writer says about those Old Testament saints that lived persevered and ultimately died by faith or in faith. In verse 32, here's the question. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith, did you catch that? Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, and then he said, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What was it that sustained these people in days gone by? It was faith, the power of faith. What is it that's going to get us from planet Earth to that other side? to our home in heaven, it's faith. And so we have got to strive to walk by faith, to put our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and to live faithfully for him day in and day out. Now, there's a second thing I wanna call your attention to. We talk about our treasures as Christians, but then our trials as Christians. Now the apostle Peter is writing to people that are undergoing a siege of trials. They are, they are faced with any number of hardships or persecutions, difficulties, 
Over in chapter 4, he would say, If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. So here were people that were experiencing difficult days. They were faced with burdens. A couple of things here. First of all, let's talk about the various trials. Pick up with me, if you would, in verse 6. In verse 6, he said, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved, or as the footnote in the New King James Version says, distressed by various trials. What should our attitude be in, in the face of trial? Listen, listen again to what Peter said. In this you greatly rejoice, no doubt. I think about all the blessings and promises that we have as a child of God, the hope of heaven. But Peter said, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Those of us who belong to the family of God, those of us who have the hope of heaven and all the promises of being a Christian, we understand we're not immune to trial. What's our attitude in the face of trial? We live in a society. We live in a country that allows us religious freedom. I hope and pray that in the coming years we can maintain that. But I can promise you things are changing in the world in which we live. They are changing in the country in which we live. Sometimes we talk about having freedom of speech. I'm not so sure that we have freedom of speech as we think of it. I have been working with two television stations recently trying to put together two commercials that have to do with the homosexual lifestyle. You have to be very careful about what is said. And as one of the, one of the men that I have been discussing this with, at one of the television stations said to me, we cannot say anything that is inflammatory. Well, we don't want to say anything inflammatory. We don't want to say anything ugly or hurtful. We're not trying to attack any person. We're simply trying to emphasize, here's what the Bible says about certain things. But I sent one particular script to two stations and they, they approved the script. It took a few days, but they approved it. I sent a second script. The script that I sent, in, at least in, in my mind, was very tame. Nothing was said that would have been construed offensive in any way. The first sentence of the second transcript that I sent begins, our nation was founded upon Christian principles. One of the television stations came back to me at the end of this week. And here's what they said. Rather than say, our nation was founded upon Christian principles, we want you to say, we believe our nation was founded on Christian principles. Or it may be that you'll want to say, this organization, maybe the church believes this nation was founded upon Christian principles. Listen to me very carefully. That is censor. We are being censored. 
that script and, and that sentence, our nation was founded upon Christian principles. That is a fact. It's not an assertion. It's not an assumption. It is a fact. Read your history books. It's a fact. But they don't want me to say that. You see what they're doing? What they're trying to do is say what you can and cannot say on the air. So we talk about freedom of speech. Let me tell you what. We do not have freedom of speech like we think we do. What does that say? Later than we think. Peter is writing to people embroiled in persecution. You and I, we are living in a society that has become increasingly hostile towards Christianity and the Bible. I'll be honest with you. There are a lot of folks in our world today, they don't want to hear what God says. I thought it was great. Nancy and I last night were watching a biography, I guess that's what you, what you would call it, on the late Neil Armstrong. And they were talking about landing on the moon back in the late 1960s. Sounds, well, sounds like we got some rain coming. But anyway, during the discussion, they said they carried with them scripture. And so when they got to a certain juncture in their flight, do you know what they did? They read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Neil Armstrong said that when they got back to earth, a lady who was an atheist tried to sue them. Well, I applaud what they did. And it's sad that a few people in our country have raised such a ruckus that our nation and our nation's leaders have conceded in many respects and have sold out the principles upon which I believe we were founded. Jesus said, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Think about that. Blessed are you when you're persecuted. You and I were children of God. How can we look at persecution as a blessing? How can we rejoice in time of trial? Well, here's what Jesus said, rejoice and be exceeding glad. For great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Persecution comes with the territory if you're a child of God. Just a part of it. Read the book of Revelation and look at the suffering that the first century saints were undergoing in the latter part of the first century under the Roman Empire. And yet God told his people in the long ago, look, I'm still on my throne. I'm still in control. And ultimately, when you read the book of Revelation, the bottom line is this. God's people win. We may not win here, but we will win one day. We'll stand victorious. So the various trials, and then secondly, the validation by trials. 
Note, if you would, verse 7. That the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested or tried by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What about our approval through trials? Did you know that the trials of life literally show what we're made of? In other words, they test our metal. When, when you look at somebody that is under the gun, under fire, you can, find out where they, you can find out really what they're all about. We have said before, and I believe it to be the case, that trials can do one of two things in life. The trials of life can either aid in building your faith or the trials of life can break your faith. A lot of folks have given up. A lot of, a lot of folks have given in. But here the apostle Peter talks about the genuineness of these saints' faith, faith. And he said, their faith was much more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. In James chapter one, James talks about the blessings associated with enduring or persevering in the face of trial. In James chapter one, verse two, he said, count it all joy when you fall into manifold or various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience one of the byproducts of trial or persecution. But in verse 12, he said, blessed is the man that endures temptation. For when he has been tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. We may experience heartaches and troubles and trials and difficulties on planet earth. We may suffer for our faith, but ultimately we have the hope of heaven. And then there's a third thing I wanna call your attention to tonight, and that is our trust as a Christian. This has to do with our belief system. Listen now, if you would, to what Peter says in verses eight and nine. He's talking about Jesus Christ. He said, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Two things, number one, the basis of our faith. How do we, as mortal human beings, how do we develop a, a, a sense of faith? Let me tell you how we do. Through scripture. Think, if you would, about the revelation that has been given unto us about Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to Christians that have been scattered. They have been dispersed. They're suffering, they're facing trials. And the people to whom he is writing, they did not have the luxury of seeing the Lord firsthand. They had not seen the Lord. They had not heard him audibly. They had not, as John said, had the opportunity to touch him. But Peter said, whom having not seen, you love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. You and I, we have never seen the, I've never seen the Lord, have you? I've never heard him speak, have you? Now I've seen him through scripture. I have heard him speak through scripture. That's why the apostle Paul said, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You and I, we have what we call the Bible, the scriptures. The Old Testament points us in the direction of the Messiah, 
Jesus, the Son of God. And the Old Testament writers are simply saying, the Christ is coming. The New Testament writers, they are affirming, the Christ has come. And he will come again. But the revelation about Jesus. Let me give you an example. Go back and look at John chapter 20. You remember in the 20th chapter of the book of John, the apostle talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and those eyewitnesses to the Son of God. Jesus appeared to the disciples with the exception of one man. Who was that? Thomas. Sometimes we talk about doubting Thomas because you see, John tells us in his account that when Jesus appeared to the disciples, that he showed them his hands and his side. Did they believe in the resurrected Christ? You better know they did. When you pick up the book of Acts, what do you see? You see those early disciples preaching and teaching the resurrected Christ. Thomas, however, wasn't present. And so when word got back to him that they had seen the Lord, do you know what he said? Except I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, guess what? Jesus appeared. This time, Thomas was present. Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And then what did he do? He allowed him to examine his hands and his side. And what did Thomas say? Thomas responded by saying, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. We do not have the luxury of seeing Jesus in the flesh. He has long since ascended to heaven. But our faith in Christ is just as real as if we have had that opportunity. Peter is writing to Christians. And he's saying to these Christians, look, you haven't seen him, but you love him, you believe in him. You and I, we haven't, we haven't seen him, we haven't heard him, we haven't touched him, but, but we believe in him, we love him. Why is that? Because of this body of evidence that we call the faith that has been once and for all delivered. So the basis of faith, that's scripture, it's revelation. But then what about the blessings of faith? Well, the blessings of faith will be realized at the revelation of Jesus. Go back again and look at verse 7. In verse 7, here's what Peter said, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, you love. Though you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible, and full of glory. Now look at verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. What is, the, what is the consummate 
aim of faith. What's the ultimate end of faith? The ultimate end of faith is just what Peter said, the salvation of your souls. Why is it we live a Christian life? Why do we suffer persecution and affliction and take it? Why do we, why do we work in the kingdom and live for the Lord and worship the Lord on a regular basis? Because ultimately, our objective is the same. What is that objective? Heaven. We want to go to heaven. And Peter is writing to people. That'll get your attention. <laughs> Peter is writing to people and he's saying, look, the culmination of a life lived by faith is the salvation of your souls. That's why we talk about the eye of faith. Brother Franklin Camp used to say that faith is what gives substance and reality to things not seen. Well, it's been quite a ride tonight. Somebody may be trying to tell us something. <laughs> Our ultimate goal is heaven. The Bible talks about people in Hebrews chapter 11 as living by faith over and over again. You can read about those folks. You can read about men and women whose lives were lived by faith. They worked by faith. They walked by faith. They worshiped by faith. They endured by faith. But in verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 11, the writer said, these all died in faith. What is the end, the aim of faith? Just what Peter said, the salvation of your souls. That's what it's all about. Listen, if we miss heaven, if you miss heaven, you have missed it all. There is nothing this world has to offer, I promise you, not one thing that this world has to offer that is worth your eternal soul. It's that valuable. So if you're here tonight, you're not a Christian, could we encourage you to come to Christ, to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, to believe that he is who he claimed to be, to be like Peter on the long ago, to acknowledge Jesus is the Son of the living God, if you believe Jesus to be the Son of God and you would be willing to repent of your sins, confess his name before others, be immersed in the watery grave of baptism, the Bible tells you, tells me, tells all of us that your sins will be forgiven. As long as you live a faithful life, the assurance is the blood of Christ will constantly be at work in your life. And one day, known only to God, we'll stand before him and we'll hear him say, well done good and faithful servant. If you're here tonight and you're not faithful, could we encourage you to come home? To come home to a loving God who will abundantly pardon according to 1 John chapter 1 verse 9. Come now as we stand and sing.